You're listening to KBC 790. This is Matt Mattern, host of Unite and Heal America. Uh, my guest is Nick Lapis, Director of Advocacy from the organization Californians Against Waste. Uh, welcome to the show, Nick. Thanks for having me, Matt. Tell us a little bit about uh, Californians Against Waste and, and what your organization does and how you, uh, you ended up there. Yeah, so Californians Against Waste is an environmental advocacy organization. We've been around since 1977. Um, originally really focused uh, almost exclusively on passing a bottle deposit in California. Uh, so the five cents or 10 cents you pay when you go buy some soft drinks, um, we call that the bottle bill. And that was really the focus of the organization for uh, probably the first 10 years or so. And then after we successfully passed the bottle bill in California, we moved on to a lot of other waste related issues, um, everything from you know, hard to handle products like tires or, you know, electronic waste to more recently, we've been very focused on plastic pollution and the, the organic waste. Uh, so food scraps and yard trimmings and getting that composted. Um, it's kind of a wide variety of issues that are all related around waste management and recycling. And as for me personally, I've been with the organization for uh, 14 years at this point, straight out of college. And uh, yeah, studied environmental science and at UC Davis and got a job at CAW and never left. Go Aggies. So uh, yeah, I work with a couple of uh, UC Davis grads and uh, it's a great school. Uh, it's kind of interesting. I'm a little bit older than you. And so I remember the bottle deposits coming into play and I didn't remember exactly the date, but I guess that kind of refreshes my memory that it's been whatever it was, late 70s, early 80s, uh, when they first came into play. 1986 is when the, the state law was passed. Wow. So prior to that, was there no uh, return policy in terms of payment? No. I mean, individual, you know, maybe like an individual uh, milk company might have some kind of deposit or something, but there was nothing statewide. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, I kind of recall that you got uh, a nickel or something when you brought a, a, a Pepsi bottle or a Coke bottle back to a store or something like that. Uh, but I guess it wasn't for every product or every type of can or bottle. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we've come a long way since then, but uh, we've still got a long way to go. And I know that... Uh, you know, there there's some bills in the legislature right now about reducing plastic waste. And Senator Bell, Bill uh, Ben Allen has a bill that is pending in the California state legislature about uh, reducing plastics by, I believe, 75 percent. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about that one and and what your role has been in uh, in helping that legislation. Sure. I mean, we've seen uh, increased interest from the legislature over the last few years in this issue. And I think that's sort of a reflection of the public really beginning to care about this issue. Um, you know, as more and more research comes out that shows that, uh, you know, they're finding plastic in, in uh, uh, seafood, they're finding plastic in drinking water, they're finding plastic in uh, uh, the human body. I think there was a study that came out this week that showed there was a plastic in uh, human lungs. Um, recent research showing that uh, bits of plastic can cross the placental barrier. And so I think all of that 
has sort of forced a reckoning where the public has said, what are you doing about it? Um, and I think the answer of, well, we dealt with one product and now we're gonna move on to another product just doesn't really cut it because we're gonna you know, win the battle, but lose the war. Um, and so we've been strong supporters of those individual product bills, whether it's bags or you know, plastic microbeads, we, we sponsored both of those bills um, or you know, the straw bill. But I think where Senator Allen came in uh, and some of his colleagues came in is that they said, we need a comprehensive solution to actually move the needle. We need to look at the problem as a whole, not just go product by product. And so uh, uh, Senator Allen and Assemblymember Gonzalez introduced uh, uh, identical measures in the last session to basically uh, give the state authority to regulate plastics and packaging. Um, it's kind of, in my mind, similar to the way we regulate anything else that's a hard problem. Um, you know, when it comes to air quality, we allow the Air Resources Board to pass regulations to address that. When it comes to worker health and safety, we allow Cal OSHA to uh, pass regulations to address that. Um, it's more or less how we handle any complicated problem. And this is a complicated problem. And it just didn't really make sense to keep going product by product in the legislature. So those bills uh, stalled last year. They did not get enough votes at the end of either uh, year of the, the legislative session. Um, it came very close. I think it was four votes shy last year, but ultimately did not pass. And uh, Senator Allen has reintroduced a bill as sort of a placeholder to have that conversation. It's the same bill numbers, SB 54. But for, for us and for a lot of folks, we're really focused on a, a ballot measure we've been working on, which sort of is a similar concept, but it's going on the statewide ballot next year. Um, so it'll be on the November election next year. And uh, there was a large signature gathering effort last summer that was delayed because of COVID. And you know there were some extensions granted and some other procedural things that aren't super interesting, but um, we expect to qualify, to officially be told that we qualify for the ballot in the next couple of weeks. And um, uh, tell us a little bit about the ballot measure and, and what that's going to entail. Um, yeah, so it has a few main pieces. In my mind, the, the biggest, most important part of it is the, the what I just described, which was in you know SB 54, which was in AB 1080, uh, basically authority to the Environmental Protection Agency to come up with standards to make sure all packaging is recyclable or compostable. Um, you know, uh, uh, that's the, the heart of the, of the ballot measure. In addition to that, there is a prohibition on the sale of expanded polystyrene, so also known as styrofoam takeout containers. Uh, we have, I believe, 139 local local governments that have passed bans, um, but there isn't one statewide. And that's, you know, as much as I don't like going product by product, that's an especially problematic material um, because it's so lightweight. It, you know, even when disposed of properly, it blows out of garbage trucks, blows out of trash cans, um, and it has toxic ingredients. And notably styrene, the main ingredient is a carcinogen. So it's not recyclable, not realistically recyclable. Um, it, 
even if it were the aerodynamics of it are problematic and then it's also toxic. Um, so it prohibits the sale of that, um, which again would only affect about half the state because half the state has already banned it over the years. Um, and then the third part of the ballot measure is a fee assessed on the manufacturers of single use products. And it's up to a penny uh, per item of packaging. Um, and that's, it's up to a penny, but based on how much it costs to recycle the product. So if a product isn't recyclable and costs ratepayers a ton of money to deal with, then that manufacturer will be assessed a full penny. If it's you know, something that's really easy to recycle, like say a you know, PET water bottle or, or something along those lines, um, it would be way less than a penny. And then that money is used for a, a variety of things. So recycling, composting infrastructure, uh, also investments in uh, cleaning beaches and parks and uh, a lot of natural resources investments, investments in food recovery and food banks and uh, sustainable agriculture. Um, it, it is probably the most aggressive investment we've seen in, in uh, California's environment in you know, recent memory and uh, on top of the, the regulatory side. Well, it certainly seems reasonable and fair to ask the manufacturers and, and retailers who are using these products that are ending up uh, you know, needing to be disposed of and are costly to dispose of and are harmful to our environment, that they pay kind of the price for that, that cost that they're passing down to the rest of us so that uh, really they're, they're bearing the true cost of the problem. And then that will hopefully get them to modify their behavior. I wonder if, uh, if the one cent per product is sufficient to, uh, to actually dissuade manufacturers and retailers who use these products from, from using them going forward? What do you think? I mean, it's a good question. Since it's only part of the much bigger policy, I, I think the rest of the, the proposal kind of complements it to transition us to recyclable, compostable alternative. It's not, we're not just counting on the penny to do the whole job. Well, you're listening to Unite and Heal America on KBC 790. This is Matt Mattern, your host, and uh, we're talking to Nick Lapis, Director of Advocacy for Californians Against Waste. Uh, we're going to be back with Nick in just one minute to talk about uh, the ballot measure he and his organization are planning to have on the November 2022 ballot, uh, which is going to really revolutionize the way we deal with the uh, with products here in California and possibly the rest of the country uh, because California has traditionally led the way on these issues. We'll be back in just one minute. As you may know, your host, Matt Mattern of Unite and Heal America, is also the founder of Mattern Law Group. Their team of experienced employment, consumer, and environmental attorneys are dedicated to leveling the playing field by giving everyone access to the highest quality legal representation. Contact 844-MLG-FOR-YOU. That's 844-MLG-FOR-YOU or 844-654-4968. 844-654-4968. You're listening to KBC 790. This is Matt Mattern, your host of Unite and Heal America. 
Our guest today, Nick Lapis from the Californians Against Waste. Uh, he's the director of advocacy and has been so for 14 years. Uh, Nick, you were telling us a bit about uh, the ballot measure your organization is putting forward. Uh, I was asking about how this is going to work with uh, you know manufacturers. Will this really dissuade them? And you were about to tell us a little bit about uh, how you think the structure of the, the measure would do that. Yeah. So, so the fee is a part of it. Um, and really, it's you, you got it exactly right. It's about shifting the costs from residents, from ratepayers to the manufacturers, helping internalize some of those costs. So the fee is part of it. But the, in my opinion, the most important part of the ballot measure is the regulatory authority that we're giving the state um, environmental protection agency. And uh, basically, we're telling them make uh, uh, require packaging to be recyclable or compostable. And it's not that crazy of a concept. I mean, if you think about um, some types of packaging, we're already there. If you think about beverage containers, for example, uh, you know, you walk down the aisle at the supermarket and whether it's, you know, Coke or Pepsi or Dr. Pepper, they all use uh, uh, recyclable PET bottles, recyclable glass bottles, recyclable aluminum cans. They're recyclable across brands. So you can take an aluminum can from Coke and recycle it with a Pepsi aluminum can. Um, and, you know, from a consumer perspective, you're still choosing the product you want and there are multiple forms of packaging for it, but all of them are compatible with the systems that we have. And so I would argue the beverage sector is almost hundred percent recyclable um, and not all of it gets recycled, you know, but we do get really high recycling rates in the, you know, seventies and eighties for that material. And what if the rest of packaging could look like that? What if the rest of packaging could be uniform enough that it could be recycled together, that we wouldn't have to, you know, hope that some wacky, uh, you know, clamshell that some toy is using would somehow be compatible with a system that's not designed for it. What if, you know, maybe toys aren't the best example, but what if toys all came in a uniform packaging, um, similar with other food items, with, uh, you know, other uh, household items, so in my mind, it's really about uh, making it easier for consumers to, so that pretty much every choice is recyclable. So they don't have to stand over their trash can, their recycling bin, trying to read the numbers at the bottom of their products or try to remember what the hell their city actually accepts or doesn't accept. Um, the, the system needs to be simpler. And I think that, in my mind, is the ultimate outcome of the ballot measure. Well, certainly, uh, I didn't even know or hadn't even noticed on those triangles or the uh, that are on the recyclables the seven or eight different numbers that denote the different types of uh, uh, classifications that products fall into that are plastic or recyclable, and uh, then of course there's the differentiation of whether they're really going to be recycled. And we've had the question uh, that many of them are not being recycled. So we kind of have this sense of the, uh, that if we throw something in the recycling bin that has that circle, we're okay. But in reality, I don't think that's accurate. Is that, is that a fair statement? 
Yeah, it's totally a fair statement. It's actually the focus of uh, several bills this year in the legislature. Um, and, you know, I think that there's a, a tendency for, for the public to, to blame consumers for not knowing, but it's intentionally confusing. I mean, manufacturers love the green sheen of their product being considered recyclable. And so they go out of their way to use, you know, the chasing arrows recycling symbol in a way that makes people think that it's recyclable, even if it isn't. Um, so th there's a few different bills on this, like I said. Uh, one would actually prohibit the use of the chasing arrows recycling symbol or the word recyclable on any packaging that doesn't actually have recycling markets. Um, so it's not enough that it goes into a blue bin because that's not recycling. It's got to actually be made into new products. Um, so that's a big area of eliminating what I think is deceptive greenwashing by manufacturers. Um, and then similarly, I mean, as you mentioned, a lot of stuff that goes in the blue bin uh, doesn't actually get recycled. So there's uh, legislation that a previous bill I mentioned was uh, SB 343 by Senator Allen. There's another bill that's AB 881 by a Senate member, Lorena Gonzalez, uh, that basically reclassifies mixed plastic waste that we ship overseas, reclassifies that as disposal. So it, we don't magically count it as recycling because we put it in a shipping container if it doesn't really have a place to go, if it doesn't really get recycled. Um, so that's all part of this theme of being honest with consumers about what is and isn't recyclable, which we need to do from a fairness perspective, but also to not let the manufacturers off the hook because they claim that their products are recyclable um, and that affects the consumer choices because consumers want to buy the recyclable option. Um, and then the third bill that's in that same vein is uh, AD 121201 by uh, some member Phil Ting, which uh, does something similar for compostable labeling. It basically limits what can be called compostable to make sure that it really can be composted in California. So it doesn't have toxic ingredients. It uh, meets the ASTM standards for breaking down. It is third-party certified. It's labeled in a way that's not confusing to, to consumers. Um, and so, yeah, so all of those bills kind of go together in this general sense of let's be more transparent about what is and isn't recyclable, and let's make it easier for consumers to know what goes in what bin, and then let's move away from the things that are not recyclable. Well, you talked about uh, a lot of things being shipped out of the country, and I saw recently an article about all the trash that we are still shipping to Southeast Asia, and to me, I think that's just pushing off the problem to somebody else and, and uh, creating another problem on the other side of the planet, which is still our problem because we only have one planet and all this stuff cycles back into whether it's the ocean or into the ground, uh, we're going to still have to deal with that problem somewhere down the road. And it's, to me, it's a short-term solution. How are we going to deal with that one? Yeah, you're, you're exactly correct. And that's, that's really the, the point of reclassifying that as uh, disposal. Because really, they, there isn't much economic incentive for people to ship worthless stuff overseas. They, they do it to meet recycling targets. Um, you know, every city has to recycle half of the waste that they generate. And uh, 
putting stuff in a shipping container counts. Um, and so reclassifying that as disposal is going to eliminate a big part of that incentive. Um, and there, there are some products that are legitimately recycled overseas, but it's not the, the mixed, mixed leftover plastic. That stuff is pretty much garbage. And, you know, historically uh, it's been hand sorted overseas and people have picked out the stuff that we mix that we miss in there. Um, so maybe some, you know, bottles or jugs uh, that are recyclable and they get kind of hand sorted, but um, they don't have the infrastructure to deal with the rest of it, which is the majority. And uh, if it's getting thrown away, you know, I best case scenario, if it's getting landfilled overseas, worst case scenario, if it's ending up directly back in the ocean or, you know, being used as stove fuel in somebody's house where it's toxic, um, none of that should count as recycling. And that, that's really the, the impetus for AB881. So where do we go in terms of just kind of eliminating this waste or eliminating it through having better packaging op, uh, options so that uh, we're not creating this uh, disposable culture that uh, leads to so much waste and uh, so much pollution? Yeah, and a part of it is is redesigning the packaging to make it more consistent, make it make it uh, more aligned with our existing recycling system, so that we can recycle it. That's part of the problem or part of the solution. Uh, but the other part is really going back to more reuse and, and refillable systems. Um, my, my pet peeve is, uh, you know, every time you go into a coffee shop, they give you your coffee to go, whether or not you're drinking it there or not. And if you go into the same coffee shop, you know, the same chain, Starbucks or whatever in Europe, you'll see that they serve everything in a, in a porcelain cup and people are sitting around drinking coffee out of cups as opposed to paper to go cups. Um, and I think stuff like that is just such faux hanging fruit. Like that's not going to cost anybody any money. It's not going to be more, less convenient for the consumer. Uh, we really need to tackle that lowest hanging fruit as well. Well, not only is it uh, low hanging fruit to, for recycling benefits or waste reduction benefits, it actually tastes better out of a porcelain cup than out of a, a plastic cup. And uh, so I, I challenge those who drink coffee to, to use a non plastic or disposable cup when they, when they fill up. But uh you're listening to Unite and Heal America, KBC 790. Again, my guest, Nick Lapis, Director of Advocacy for Californians Against Waste. We're taking a break right now, and we'll be right back in just a minute to talk with Nick some more. You're listening to KBC 790. This is Matt Matter, the host of Unite and Heal America. And again, my guest, Nick Lapis, Californians Against Waste. And Nick, I just wanted to ask you about this blame the consumer model, which is kind of been set up by industry for a long time, which has been the focus of, of recycling is on the consumer to make sure that the consumer does their part to throw things away. When in reality, the much more effective way to look at this problem or solve this problem is to go to the source and have products that, that don't cause so much pollution. And so we have less waste. Uh, what are we doing to get to the source here? You're exactly right. Um, 
there's a interesting documentary that came out a couple of years ago called the story of plastic highly recommend you go watch it um i i, I know the discovery channel bought it i don't know where they're streaming it but i'm sure you can stream it somewhere but they really go into a lot of detail on this and how um you know originally when when some of these chemical companies launched disposable single-use items they had a really hard time convincing people to throw them out because people would wash them and reuse them. Um, but that's not how their market would work. You know, you can't have a market of selling single use items that people are going to reuse. And so they had to do full on educational campaigns, telling people to throw away the disposable stuff that they were buying. Um, and, you know, they market as like the, the, the wave of the future is here in the fifties and, and, and the wave of the future is that you don't have to do dishes anymore. You could just throw it all away. Um, but they actively had to fight for that culture change because it seemed so foreign to people. Um, and then, you know, the, the other thing you mentioned is again, the responsibility on the consumer when there started to be a pushback against all of the disposable stuff and all the litter and everything that was uh, uh, people were seeing, the manufacturers sort of got together and put a lot of money into public education campaigns that really redirected the message from you're making stuff that is getting, you know, that's problematic, redirect from that to consumers need to pick up their litter. It's a consumer problem. And, you know, the notorious example of the, the crying Indian Keep America Beautiful ad that's um, been cited over and over of, again, trying to, uh, funded by the manufacturers, by McDonald's and Coke and all those folks, um, and really trying to get people to feel like, okay, this is a personal littering problem. Uh, and it's been super successful. And, and it, a lot of what we need to do, like you said, is to go further upstream because uh, consumers shouldn't be on the hook for figuring out very complicated packaging or, you know, in the situation of the, the coffee shop we were talking about, you have to go out of your way to ask for a, a for here cup. Um, we need to make this easier. We need to make this more convenient for people. And that really is on the restaurants, on the retailers, and on the manufacturers. Um, and so that's a, a concept that we call producer responsibility. Um, also, just kind of polluter pays. Uh, and, you know, I mentioned the example of the beverage containers earlier. When you go buy a soda, you don't have to think about it. No matter what brand you buy, uh, if it's in a PET bottle, an HDPE jug, an aluminum can, or a glass bottle, it's recyclable, then your job as a consumer is to make sure it ends up in your blue bin or ends up back at the, the take back. Right. It's, uh, well, it's classic uh, market economics is that people who <clears throat> create an externality, or as they say, or a cost like that should pay for the cost of, of what they're creating. And if that's pollution, then they should pay for the cost of it. Why should I, as a taxpayer consumer, essentially bear the cost for the company that is creating a polluting uh, device. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, we need to go upstream and the, the party that is creating the polluting materials 
should pay for it and pay the true cost so that uh, then they may change their ways if, if that's the case. Maybe you could tell us about some of the other packaging bills uh, that are on the horizon, both ones that may still pass and maybe some of the ones that didn't pass. Yeah, um, so a couple other bills that are part of this, what we're calling the circular economy package. Uh, one of them is AB 1276 by Wendy Carrillo, which uh, sort of came out of a big issue that arose in the pandemic, you know, as people got more and more takeout, uh, you get so much other stuff with your takeout. So you get, you know, uh, uh, plastic forks and knives and you get napkins and all this other stuff you don't need at home. Um, and so this bill would basically just say that uh, you have to ask for those things. They're not going to be included by default. So if you're going to eat in the park, sure, grab your disposable, you know, cutlery and, and go eat in the park. But if you're getting it delivered to your house, you don't need that. And I'm, I'm guessing that everybody else is like me and has a gigantic drawer full of uh, uh, disposable cutlery. Um, I think it's a pretty common experience that right. yeah, uh, a, a lot of people there for sure. Yeah. Uh, what other bills that are uh, on the horizon? A, a, another bill that we're working on is uh, about refillable bottles. So again, going back to reuse as higher on the hierarchy than recycling. Um, let's go back to refill some bottles. We don't have to crush everything and re-recycle it. And there are some great uh, companies uh, based in California who want to make this into a business, want to take beer bottles and wine bottles and wash them and sanitize them and put them back into the stream of commerce. And so the bill would make uh, that process eligible for funding under the state's recycling program because right now recycling is eligible for funding but reuse is not well that definitely has a, a lot of benefit because you think of all the energy that goes into uh, recycling something and then creating a new product there's there's a tremendous energy saving if we don't have to uh, do that yeah and then you mentioned bills that did not pass i think the most notable of those was uh, ab 1371 by Laura Friedman, which was about uh, uh, e-commerce packaging. So when you order stuff online and it gets shipped to you, uh, basically it was a requirement that uh, e-retailers not use unrecyclable packaging. So instead of the like plastic pouches and packing peanuts and stuff like that, they would have to use uh, fiber and, and you know, craft paper and other recyclable alternatives. Um, that was a great bill. I think it, it'll, it'll have to pass at some point. Um, even though it failed this year, I, I think that that's unavoidable in the future. What was the margin of, uh, between passage and non-passage on this uh, bill, the e-commerce bill? I, I believe it came three or four votes short. It was very, very close. Um, that's, you know, out of 80 members of the state assembly. Um, okay. you know, yeah. as, as a general rule, the, the legislature can be a uh, conservative body in the sense that, you know, not in the political sense, but in the sense that new ideas take a few years to percolate through the process if people get used to them. And this was a new idea. Um, 
I frankly think it got really far given that it was a brand new idea and given how much opposition there was from the various trade associations for the tech companies, uh, for the various people who make anything. I mean, there's opposition from all sorts of groups. Right. Well, we all know from getting e-commerce packages, just the amount of waste that goes on in just sending a small product. They usually have five times as much packaging as the, the product actually contains, which is just an insane amount of waste. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, there are alternatives that they're using in other countries, um, I believe uh, Amazon in India has completely switched to craft paper. They don't use any plastic packaging at all in their shipping. Um, so it is doable. It, it is definitely doable. Well, tell us in the next year, three years, five years, 10 years, 20 years, where, is, uh, where are we going as a state and, and hopefully leading the country and the rest of the world uh, to have a cleaner environment? What are the things that you see on the horizon? Now we're gonna be back in, uh, you know, in just a minute, but I wanted to get you started on that and maybe you can give us a few uh, things that you're focused on in the next year to, uh, to make a change. Yeah, well, maybe shifting a little bit from what we have been talking about, um, I think we don't spend enough time thinking about the organic waste so uh, food scraps, yard trimmings, and organic waste makes up two thirds of what goes in the landfills. And you know we get very fixated on uh, some of these things like plastics and, and other materials, um, but it's such a waste of resources to be putting the organic waste into landfills. So I think that is really the focus for the next few years in my mind. Well, uh, you're listening to KBC 790. Uh, this is Matt Mattern, your host of Unite and Heal America, and Nick Lapis, the Director of Advocacy of Californians Against Waste, is our guest. And um, we'll be talking to Nick more about how we can change uh, California in the coming years to make it a cleaner and greener place. Back in just a minute to talk with Nick some more. You're listening to Unite and Heal America. This is Matt Mattern, your host, and the guest is Nick Lapis of Californians Against Waste. And uh, Nick, getting back to uh, the organic waste problem that we have here in California and, and what we can do about it, and then uh, maybe pivoting to where, we, where you see things going over the next you know, five to 20 years. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the organic waste problem is one that doesn't get enough attention. Uh, like I said, two thirds of the garbage that we send to landfills every year is organic waste. and um, it seems harmless, right? Because it's just, well, okay, what's, what's an apple core going to do to the environment? But uh, in landfills, there's no oxygen. And so the, the stuff in landfills rots anaerobically and it releases methane. Um, and without getting into a whole science conversation, uh, basically methane is one of the strongest gases for, for greenhouse gas uh, impacts. And it's what's called a short-lived climate pollutant, meaning it delivers its entire impact in a 12-year period, um, as opposed to CO2, which lingers in the air for, for you know, decades and continues to provide an impact. So if we want to address the impacts of climate change and actually avert some of the impacts of climate change, 
we have to tackle the what's called the short-lived climate pollutants. That's methane, uh, black carbon, um, some refrigerants, some other gases as well. And so again, so you have this the apple core that seems totally innocent. When it rots without oxygen in a landfill, it releases methane. And we have rules requiring landfills to try to capture as much of that as they can. But there's only so much you can do with a you know 500 acre hole in the ground, right? Like methane's going to find ways to escape. Um, and so we and a lot of other NGOs have advocated for years that really the only way to uh, uh, reduce those emissions is to avoid creating them to begin with by diverting that material. And so if you take that same apple core, you mix it with some you know, yard trimmings, you compost it, uh, you can compost it aerobically. So you're turning it to keep oxygen flowing. It does not become methane any longer. It becomes CO2 and it becomes soil, right? It becomes compost. And uh, that finished product is super valuable for, uh, for agriculture. It's a source of nutrients, um, but it also builds uh, stronger soils that can then withstand droughts and floods. Um, it's just a spongier soil, which you know, anybody who gardens can tell you the, the impact of applying compost, um, but it just seems so uh, wasteful, you know, especially at this moment right now, we're sitting in the middle of this uh, drought. It's the second major drought in, in a few years. And the solution for that to save our agriculture is currently being placed in landfills where it's contributing to climate change. So tell us a little bit about uh, the composting law that is coming into effect here in California and, and how is it going to be uh, kind of play out in real time? Yeah, so in 2016, the legislature passed SB 1383, which was the final in a series of laws about organic waste, um, basically uh, giving the state recycling agency authority to require statewide composting. Um, for folks in the Bay Area, I think you have pretty broad uh, listenership, but for folks in the Bay Area, that seems super second nature. They've had composting at their house forever. They put their food scraps in with their green waste and, you know, and it gets taken away and gets composted. For folks in uh, Sacramento, in, in the Los Angeles area, and, you know, a lot of Southern California, it's a very foreign concept. And so we're basically hoping to replicate what has been successfully done in the Bay Area statewide. And the regulations go into effect uh, January 1st of next year. Um, so if you live, for example, in the city of Sacramento, you should have gotten a notice from the city in the past couple of weeks announcing that beginning of the year, you can start putting your food scraps in with the green waste and the city's gonna compost it. Um, and uh, we're hoping that statewide, that'll be the case, that everybody will be able to have access to composting service at home, at work, when they're out and about. Sort of the only way it works is if it's if it becomes as ingrained as recycling does. And there's some other really cool parts of the law as well. Um, there, there are requirements for food recovery. So uh, taking edible food and keeping it from becoming waste, making sure that everything that can be donated to hungry people does get donated to hungry people. Um, there are uh, various other elements as well in that law. It's hopefully going to be a model for the rest of the country. 
Well, certainly uh, we've worked with an organization, Food Finders, which takes food that uh, might have been disposed of and or wasted and redistributes it to people who are in need. And uh, there's just so much food waste that occurs in our country. Uh, it's really staggering. So anything we can do to prevent that food from getting wasted and finding itself into hands that are in need, that's, uh, that's a, a great benefit. Yeah. And then you asked, you know, what I see as the future. Um, I'm going to give you an optimistic answer. I, I think we're going to finally turn the tide on some of these problems uh, and start moving towards solutions uh, where the manufacturers are going to be responsible for transitioning products to be more recyclable, less toxic, um, and to help fund the infrastructure to deal with them at the back end. I think the fact that um, that uh, the overseas countries don't want our garbage anymore has sort of forced a reckoning in, in the U.S. and in California specifically um, in terms of dealing with our own garbage that we generate. And by forcing that reckoning, I, I think something's got to give. And uh, the manufacturers need to take a more active role in redesigning their products. And then, you know, similarly with the organic waste, um, I'm really excited about the launch of this program. Um, I see it as a potentially total game changer for the state. So I, I'm optimistic. Um, you know, it's, it's a little hard to be optimistic when you're facing uh, really well-funded opposition in the state legislature with an army of lobbyists on the other side. But, you know, I'd say that the public is with us. And I would say for the most part, the legislature is with us as well. So it's a matter of when, not if. Well, I appreciate the great work that you're doing up there with the legislature. Uh, I've heard a few things I'd kind of like to get your comment about. It's terms of their like robotic systems that they're using to sort out the trash more effectively so that we can kind of discern what is recyclable and, and do a better job of recycling it, um, whether that is going to play a role in, in this process. And also on the organic waste front, where is it going after they're going to collect it? Is it going to go to the farmers or how are they going to distribute uh, what should be a very substantial amount of uh, composted material? Yeah. Um, so on your first question on the robotics, I definitely think that's going to be a big part of the future. Um, you just, you know, the pace at which a, a robotic system trained by AI can pick out different materials and put them in different streams. Uh, it just, it's not even close to, you know, the, the pace of humans. And so it just seems like it's inevitable that we're going to go in that direction. Um, a lot of the sorting facilities that handle recyclables are already fairly automated. So they have things like magnets and eddy currents and density separators and optical sorters that are, it's actually really cool. It's like a big Willy Wonka machine where you throw in recyclables and things get shot with pneumatic air, you know, here and getting pulled by magnets there. And if you've ever had a chance to take a, a tour or if you've never had a chance to take a tour, you should definitely try to do that. Um, so it's already fairly automated. 
there are still a lot of people who stand on the lines to get contaminants to, you know, deal with items that are not as uh, easy to handle, but the robotics will take on, I think, a greater role there. Um, and then as far as your second question about where the organics will go, yeah, ideally we will be uh, uh, building composting infrastructure and then taking that finished compost and using it in agriculture. I mean, you know, we have such a, a demand in California. Uh, I've heard anecdotally, I've heard people say that our, our nut trees alone could take every single scrap of compost we could produce, um, not even thinking about all the row crops and and the use of compost for things like uh, carbon farming and, and uh, building uh, uh, grazing opportunities that are sequestering carbon and um, a lot of other uses as well. I think we have a ton of demand in California and it's about getting the material out of the landfill. Well, uh, a lot of interesting stuff. I'd love to have a chance to follow up with you on. Uh, Nick Lapis, Director of Advocacy, Californians Against Waste. Um, it's been a pleasure having you on the show and you have a great team there too. You've got Dr. Amy Gilson, PhD from Harvard as policy manager and Mark Murray, executive director who's drafted many of the solid waste and recycling laws in California. So doing great work. Thanks again, Nick, for being on the show and uh, we look forward to having you back some other time. Thanks a lot, Matt. You've been listening to Unite and Heal America on KBC 790. Have a wonderful 4th of July weekend. We'll be talking with you soon. As you may know, your host, Matt Mattern of Unite and Heal America, is also the founder of Mattern Law Group. Their team of experienced employment, consumer, and environmental attorneys are dedicated to leveling the playing field by giving everyone access to the highest quality legal representation. Contact 844-MLG-FOR-YOU. That's 844-MLG-FOR-YOU or 844-654-4968. 844-654-4968. 